-hmm. If you are hoping that that relationship is going to change your thoughts about yourself and your life for the better, I think that's a sign that you're not in the right place. When you're in a spot where you're like, you know what? Things are perfect. Whether I have a partner in my life or not, things are great. Mm-hmm. And then you know you're in a space where you feel good enough about yourself. Welcome back for another episode of Interstates and Heartbreak, a podcast all about the shared experience of dating in a city where the only constant is traffic. So today I'm really honored to interview my first author on the podcast. I have Julie Glynn. She's the author of If My Ass Were Smaller, Life Would Be Perfect and Other Lies the Mean Girl in Your Head Tells You. And honestly, as soon as I read the title, I was so drawn to it because I encountered Julie on a podcast Facebook group that we are mutually members of. And she had plugged this book. And I just thought this is so relatable to everybody. I feel like we've all had this inner mean girl who says these horrible things and puts us down when we're undeserving. And I feel like it ties in really well to dating. So I'm so excited to have Julie on and to introduce her. Hi, thank you. So I'd love to hear how did you get the idea to write this book in the first place? Well, actually, this book is kind of my second book. I had written a book first, and I finished it, and it was so crappy. My friend is a content editor. I sent it to her. I don't even think she read the whole thing. It was just so bad. And then some stuff happened to me that created a shift, and then this book came. And it's kind of funny, though, because people ask me all the time, you kind of like, what were you thinking? What brought you to it? And it's almost like I wasn't really thinking at all. It's Mm -hmm. like I had something that I had to say and I was going through some stuff at the time. And it was like, you know how sometimes like when you take a shower and it's like you get these ideas in your Mm -hmm. head and I would just be like, I got to get this out. I got to say it. And so that's kind of what happened was I was having all these thoughts in my head. But initially when I had the idea of writing a book, it came because well, I'm a coach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's important to establish relationships. And I came from a background where I was a teacher. And I worked in two different settings. I worked Mm -hmm. in a jail, and I worked in high school, public schools. Mm -hmm. I had their attention. They couldn't leave me. They had to sit with me. You have to get to know me, basically. Yes. But when I switched into coaching, it was like, you don't have that amount of time together. A lot of times, the time you have together, they're paying for it. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot harder. I thought it was a lot more labor intensive, a lot more time intensive to establish these relationships. Mm. And I thought, you know, the best way for people to really get to know me, it's in a book, take a couple hours, read it. Now you know me. 
So that was kind of the driving force behind it. The content, it just was like, it had to be said. Yeah, I love that so much. And you are so right. It is like the best way for someone to kind of get to know you and just dive in and hear all of your opinions. And I feel like it forms a sense of comfort before you even have maybe a face-to-face connection or a connection over the phone. So that's so smart to kind of boost your coaching career. You know, to tie into your dating scene, people don't always want to invest too much of themselves mm-hmm. with a fear of having to back out. Yes. You know, so it's like a lot of times in this internet world, and even like with coaching, everybody's like, let's hop on a call, let's hop on a call. And people <laughs> are like, you know, I'm not ready to get that close to you just yet. I don't want to be in a situation where I want to say no, mm-hmm. but I might not because it's going to be uncomfortable. So this yes. way, you get a really good feel for who I am before we go much further. Mm -hmm. And that does tie so perfectly to dating. It's like, do I want to commit to this? Like, no. So I'm just not going to go on this date. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd love to hear more about the perspective of the book, because when we were initially talking about it, I thought what you had posed was so smart about, you know, wanting it to be from this third party perspective, rather than directed directly towards the reader or coming from your own personal experience? Yeah, you know, I try to make a point or drive a point home. And sometimes you have to kind of like make things a little bit blown out of proportion to really Mm -hmm. make a point. Yes, you know, and I was like, I struggled a lot with how can I do that? How can I make it so obvious without owning it myself because I was like, mm-hmm. I can't take on situations because then I lose credibility as having <laughs> rational thought. I'm like, oh, well, that happened to me. That happened to me. That happened to me. Then by the time they're done, it's going to be like, God, that girl's messed up. <laughs> so I couldn't own behaviors that weren't mine. Mm-hmm. But then I didn't want to put people in their perspective. I didn't want them to imagine that happening to them. Mm-hmm. Because then a lot of times, we get defensive, we own our behavior, even though it's mm-hmm. bad, and we know we maybe shouldn't be doing it. If we get called out on it, we have a tendency to own it and defend mm-hmm. it. Yes. And so then I was like, well, I don't want to say, well, you know, like when you do this, or you do that, or you do that. And I'm trying to point out something that maybe isn't the wisest thing to do. So I created a character, Darlene. Mm-hmm. And so she's a mixture of stuff that I've experienced, stuff that I've heard other people experience. Some of it is hyperbolized a little bit just to drive home the point. Because sometimes Mm -hmm. we're like, well, that's not so bad. And yeah, Mm -hmm. but let's just drive it home a little bit by making it, you know, like she didn't do it for three days in a row. She did it for three months in a row. (laughs) Yeah, there's no gray area. It's like, no, that's not right. (laughs) So I created her and it was really fun. She was Mm -hmm. so much fun to create. And I could just see Mm -hmm. her in my head too. And just telling her stories. And it's easy to look at her and be like, oh my gosh, that happened to me once. Yeah. Or, you know, I get it. And nothing is unique to Darlene. She's Mm -hmm. in no way an outlier. (laughs) If it's happened to Darlene, it's happened to somebody else. I know I brought this up too when we had our first call, but it kind of reminds me of what we've heard about the Sex and the City writers room, where it's like that show is so iconic. And I feel like you can still watch it and like, 
see these crazy scenarios and be like, wow, that's so relatable. And I feel like that comes from the fact that the writers never wrote something in that they made up. It was always something that had either happened to them or to a friend. And I feel like Darlene is kind of that version. It's like she is every woman, you know, it's like she's just based on a lot of experiences, fortunate or unfortunate that we've all had at some point in our lives that we would like to see someone else kind of go through and work through. And, you know, I got some feedback as I was writing. I would send some chapters out Mm -hmm. and get some feedback primarily for clarity and flow to make sure that it made sense. And a lot of people had wrote back and they're like, I'm rooting for Darlene. Depending on what chapter they got, they were like, something good has to happen for Darlene. Tell Mm -hmm. me something's going to work out. And so, I mean, you have to read the whole book. But it was nice that they sympathized or empathized with what she was going through. Mm -hmm. But then they rooted for her to get through it and overcome. Yeah, yeah, which is really great. I feel like that just deepens your connection to the actual journey that she goes on and then also just makes it that much more relatable and impactful for you as well Mm -hmm. as a Mm -hmm. reader. Yeah. I have a question and maybe this is kind of arbitrary, but I'm curious, what made you land on the name Darlene? Anything in particular? Well, I mean, I don't want to stereotype or anything. I grew up in Mm -hmm. the Midwest Mm -hmm. and Darlene seems to me like the girl next door. Mm-hmm. You know, she strikes me as just no matter where you live, whether you're from the Midwest or you're from the city, she just strikes me as a heart of gold kind of person. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you hear names and, you know, you get an image. And when I was in high school, I had a job and there was a sweet lady that I worked with named Darlene. Oh. And she was almost like Betty White. She just had that nice tone in her voice and Mm -hmm. she was just kind and sweet and would never say anything bad about anybody or judge. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how, well, Darlene kind of judges a little bit. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah. Spoiler alert. She loses her temper and she does a little bit. But even still, she's still just the girl next door type. That's how Mm -hmm. I envision her. And I felt like that was the name that went with her. And it's also more distinctive. It's not like an Alex or a Samantha or something, you know, it's like Darlene is going to stick out and be someone who you remember. And that was another thing too, is I had hoped to go for something where, you know, I don't want a hundred women to pick the book up and go, oh, that's my name. (laughs) You know? That's so true. (laughs) Yes. So true. So true. So I think it's kind of like whenever we have a hurricane. Oh my gosh. Yes. I'm always so glad that it's not Julie. We got past season without a Julie. (laughs) (laughs) That is so true. Every year I'm kind of the opposite because I'm like, wow, it would be really cool if it was Leslie one year because it's just not a common name. But yeah, you're so right. That's like such a fun comparison. That's kind of what I was looking for in my book is I didn't want anybody to be like, oh no. (laughs) <laughs> that's my name. I wanted to be like, Phew, she didn't pick my name. Hurricane Darlene is not me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So I'd love to hear more about the concept of the inner mean girl and like what that is, when it typically manifests itself. 
I mean, we've all got one. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure where it came up with the idea. But you know, it's like, I have been going through my own journey. I've mm-hmm. been on diets, I've lost weight, I've gained weight, I mean, done it back and forth, back and forth forever. Mm-hmm. And then a few years ago, I stopped. And I mm-hmm. would do it. I would look in the mirror, I would look at pictures of, you know, a few years ago when I was a lot thinner. And it's like, you don't look at those and have a neutral thought. You look at those and you hear that voice in your head that says something. But then I was like, but you know what? I'm smarter and wiser than this voice I'm hearing in my head. You're telling me stuff, but it's Mm -hmm. not really true. The last Mm -hmm. diet I was on, I was so miserable. We would get phone calls Mm -hmm. from friends. Hey, let's play a game and order pizza. And I would be like, Mm -hmm. okay, let me check with my husband. I'll call you back. And I'd be like, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to weasel out of having pizza? Maybe we shouldn't even go. Yeah. You know, then I'm like, seriously, I'm going to not go hang out with my friends because I'm afraid if I eat pizza, I'm going to not lose weight tomorrow. You know, that's when I was kind of like, this Mm -hmm. is a little messed up. (laughs) And so that's kind of when I started being like, you know, where's the priority Mm -hmm. and what is real as opposed to what Mm -hmm. is Mm kind of like a fear or something I'm making up. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. And like, That is so relatable, honestly, just the stress that's kind of associated with making a decision that your inner mean girl or whoever says you quote unquote shouldn't be making, you know, and like, how do you overcome that? And I feel like it can kind of cause you to spiral. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. And I think she's always there. But depending on how much we kind of worked on it depends on how much we listen to her or kind of counteract her with wait a minute, you know, that's not really going to happen. Yeah. So do you feel like there's a certain time when that comes out in us? I feel like, you know, for me, I think about maybe the first time someone bullies you as a kid or like maybe in middle school when we're all kind of going through this angsty, self-conscious period. Do you think that it kind of becomes more prevalent at a certain phase or does it just vary from person to person? Well, I think when kids are younger... And like I said, I used to work in schools. I think it's rampant in schools. Mm -hmm. It's just like, Mm -hmm. you know, if I knew then what I knew now, Mm -hmm. I could have helped my students so much more. And when you're in school, I feel like it's two against one. It's Mm. mean girl, that girl sitting next to you against you. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's just like overpowering for kids to deal with that. I think as far as grownups go... I think anytime we experience something new, mm, anytime we start to hit the edge of our comfort zone, yeah, mean girl like reels you back in, like, whoa, yeah. wait a minute. And the reason I say that is because I'm going through that right now so much. I'm like mm-hmm. almost embarrassed because I'm like, what is going on with my mean girl right now? Mm-hmm. She's like one minute. It's like, you know what? I think this is going to be okay. The next minute, she's like, Julie, this is ridiculous. Oh, You shouldn't be writing a book. You shouldn't be going on podcasts. Don't put yourself out there. You're mm-hmm. going to get criticized. Your name is out there. You're going to ruin everything for no. yourself. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, dang. Yeah. Where's it coming from? And I know what it is. It's because I'm venturing over it's kind of like I'm a queen of analogies it's like the dog with the electric collar thing the closer he gets to the fence it starts to do that little hum and it tells you get any closer (laughs) it's gonna hurt 
that's like what Mean Girl does. Once you start getting towards your perimeter of where you're comfortable, she starts mm-hmm. reeling you in. Like, wait a minute, you're going to get zinged, and it's going to yeah. hurt. She just wants you to be safe. And I think I said it several times in my book. When you hurt, mean girl hurts. Mm -hmm. When you're happy, mean girl's happy. You Mm -hmm. never are happy. And she's saying, this is freaking ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody's (laughs) walking down the aisle of their wedding and mean girl going, yeah, I don't know about this. (laughs) (laughs) You know? So she kind of mimics where you're sort of at and then feeds into it. Interesting. Okay. So kind of like to clarify and make sure I'm understanding. So you could be going through something really positive in your life, but maybe if you haven't done the work on yourself and you're not feeling super confident in spite of everything that's happening, that might be when Mean Girl comes out. But if you're going through something positive and you're like owning it and you're like, no, this is great, then you're not really going to hear that voice. That's what I think. I mean, like I have two graduate degrees. Mm-hmm. While I was getting those degrees, she was like, you're an idiot. Go just stay <laughs> home. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You're mm-hmm. never going to pass. But when I went to my graduation, she's like, I knew we could do it. <laughs> <laughs> she's like popping champagne. <laughs> two years leading up to it, she was like, you know, don't even bother with your homework. Watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God, such a bad influence. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess that kind of like leads into another question I had. Is there any way for that to ever fully go away? I'm guessing the answer is no. And it's probably we just kind of get better at coping with it. I think so. Because I had kind of like patted myself on the back being like, there were some times some stuff that happened with me and my mean girl was okay. She was just like, Mm -hmm. you know what? you can do this. You really can. And it was times where it was like, I really didn't have a choice. And so I thought, this is good. She's turned around. She's, she's going to be nice to me. But the last couple of months while we're finishing up my book and I'm having to do stuff, the difference I noticed though, is that she's not overpowering me. Okay, She's there and she's like, I don't know. This might not turn out the way you hoped it would. But then I'm like, but you know what? It might. And yeah. even if it doesn't turn out the way I hoped it would, it's not like something bad is going to happen. Yeah. You know, worst yeah. case scenario, nothing happens. Best case mm-hmm. scenario, everything I dream of happens. Mm-hmm. But in the past, she could be overpowering to the point mm-hmm. where it's like, I think she's right. I'm not going to do this. This is too ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's where the growth is. That's where we know mm-hmm. we've grown is when we can look at her and say, I don't think you're right. Yeah. You know, work with me because we're going to do it. We're going to do this anyway. So let's just try to get through it together and don't mm-hmm. put this doubt in my head because it's not helping either one yeah. of us. Yeah. So I guess, of course, I don't want to give anything away because everyone should read this book if this is resonating with them. But just kind of as a preview, are there any pieces of advice that you would say you can give as tangible practices that someone can take on to kind of, you know, work past this and get better at quieting that inner mean girl? The thing that I would say is question it. Question what Mm. she says and the validity of it. A lot of my stuff has to do with size and shape and our appearance and how much of a difference does that make? When you look in the mirror and she says something and it's like, people have seen you the way you look for years. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. So it's like, it's not like you're gonna walk out of your house tomorrow and people are gonna be like, 
dang, look at yeah. what you look like. Well, they looked at you yesterday like that. So when Mean Girl mm-hmm. says, yeah, I don't think you should do that. You should wear that or, you know, whatever. Look at what's happening to you as you age, whatever. It's like, yeah, but you know what? It's not drastic. It didn't mm-hmm. happen overnight. Everybody's mm-hmm. seen me like this. I've seen mm-hmm. pictures of myself and I'm like, I can't post that on Facebook. My God, I don't want anybody to see me looking like that. And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, wait a minute. They see me looking like this for years. All the time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm the one who's seeing it for the first time. <laughs> That's so true. What is it we're really afraid of? Nine times out of 10, I think it's going to be, I'm pushing myself mm-hmm. and it is scary. Yeah. And I think, you know, bringing up the example that you gave about not wanting people to see you looking a certain way, it's hard because I feel like, you know, societally, we're just pressured to look perfect all the time. And so I feel like even from a young age, you might be unsatisfied with your appearance. But then maybe even now I might look back at a picture of myself from when I was in college and be like, look how young I was. And it's like, you don't want to look back and say I was self-conscious and didn't post these pictures or couldn't appreciate what I looked like then. And now here, I am like a decade or a couple decades later wishing I looked like I did when I thought that I looked unattractive, you know? That's a big one. Yeah. There's a meme that goes around on Facebook. That's like, I can't remember what it is exactly, but something along the lines of, I wish I was the same size as I was the first time I thought I needed to change my size. Mm, Yeah. That's so relatable. Yeah. So do you have any thoughts on affirmations as a way to kind of combat this? Do you have like a recommended approach to them, if any at all? I don't usually, other than kind of just that conversation that goes back and forth with Mean Girl. And, you know, I mean, it's like sometimes, you know, I'll think about things like lately in the last few days, I've been like that song has been going through my head. Don't worry about a thing. Every little thing is going to be all right. That just keeps going through my head the last couple of days, the last couple of weeks as we get ready to really do the full launch of the book. It's just kind of the conversation that I'm having one-sided. But I never really choose one and say, oh, I'm going to make sure I do this. I do, though, in my book, recommend that when you know or if you know that Mean Girl's going to say stuff to you is to have little comebacks, not nasty comebacks, mm-hmm. kind of like challenging her back. Sometimes you can just kind of like have fun with it. Mm-hmm. And part of it is that Mean Girl, she remembers things and she hears mm-hmm. things that have been said to you or happened to you in the past. And Mm -hmm. she's going to remind you. So anytime Mm -hmm. you get scared, she's going to remind you. I had a situation that came up the other day because I've been asking people to read my book and Mm do a little blurb for the back cover. Mm. And I've been taking some real long shots. And I've been getting a lot of like rejection and, Mm -hmm. you know, getting my feelings kind of hurt a little bit. And it's so funny because she went straight back to a situation that happened to me in junior high and said, this is just like that situation. They're mocking you behind your back and you don't even know it. People are laughing at you when they get these emails asking to write a blurb. It's kind of interesting because I'm like, dang, she does not forget. (laughs) And I was in junior high a really long time ago. So yeah. Some of the things when I say to challenge her back and to really have fun with it is not necessarily so that you believe it yourself, but you just give her some more exposure of other things she can grasp onto besides 
things she's heard people say. Like probably every time your mother ever said anything negative to you, oh, mean mm-hmm. girl, she grabbed onto that one and held on to yeah. it. And then, you know, you find yourself sitting in your kitchen cooking something and you do something and you hear your mother saying that and Mm. mean girls throwing it right back at you. So it's Mm -hmm. like, just expand her repertoire of comments by giving her new ones. Like, no, we don't need to worry about that. Or, you know, Mm -hmm. she says something like, you know, you always screw everything up. You can be like, I never screw anything up. You don't have Mm -hmm. to believe it, but it just kind of throws her off a little bit like, Oh, well, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, fine. I love that. Expanding the repertoire. It's like that friend who has all of the embarrassing pictures of you that you wish you could forget. And it's like, where are the flattering photos that we've taken together? Like, why are you only bringing up these memories that I don't want to have anymore? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And that's what Mean Girl does is she remembers all the bad stuff. Anything anybody ever said bad to you, Mm -hmm. she's like, I got that tucked away here. I can pull that out anytime. It really is crazy. I can think about things too. Also from like middle school or even elementary school where I'm like, does that even matter? I've not seen that person in well over a decade can still remember like exactly what was said. It's like, wow, that is very powerful. Yeah. And Mean Girl's right there to be like, oh, remember? Oh, you think you Mm want to stretch out of your comfort zone? Look what happened last time. That girl told you Mm -hmm. she never wanted to be friends with you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. God. Yeah. She is the worst sometimes. (laughs) That's why you just kind of like play back with her and be like, no, that's Mm -hmm. not true. Absolutely. So there's a couple things that I kind of wanted to, I guess, compare the mean girl in your head to. And Mm -hmm. so I think in some ways, you know, there's a benefit of being your own worst critic when it, it can be a positive thing in the sense that sometimes it pushes you to be the best version of yourself and make constant progress, et cetera. Clearly the mean girl is not that it's like, hindering you but I feel like you know maybe internally it could be a little difficult to say like is this inner voice one that is being critical because it's pushing me to do better or is it just being critical in the sense of holding me back so I guess like how do you kind of differentiate your inner mean girl from like your inner motivational force that's a good question I think it kind of depends on how you want to use her and I think a lot of that has to do with how do you respond to an external blockade that comes Mm -hmm. in your way. You know, like you apply to go to college and the first school you go to that you don't get accepted. Do you take that as a springboard to try harder at the next college application? Or do Mm -hmm. you take that as the rejection that says, no, I shouldn't do it at all. Mm, And so I think it kind of goes the same way with your mean girl is she could be Mm -hmm. like, don't do it. This is ridiculous. And you could be like, you're probably right. Let's just not Mm -hmm. do it. Or you can be like, no, I think you're wrong. I'm going to show you how I think you're wrong. And the thing is, is like, like I was talking about the perimeter of your zone of comfort that Mm -hmm. expands all the time. So it's like, Mm -hmm. we push it and push it and push it. And she's always going to try to hold us back. And like I said, you get to choose. I think it depends on how you react to other, you know, obstacles that get in the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So another question, do you feel like men have a mean girl equivalent? Because I mean, I know we're talking about mean girl, but like, I imagine this is something men struggle with. And it might just look a little bit different in terms of like the types of messages that they have to combat internally. So what do you think that looks like for men versus women? Well, that's hard for me to answer because I can't get inside mm-hmm. the head of a man. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's fair, fair. <laughs> but definitely there, just kind of like a different type of 
I do believe that men have the same apprehensive voice in their head that says, you know, don't take the risk. I think we all do. I think we all Mm -hmm. have that voice that says, just stay comfortable. Even thinking about jobs, I think that's why people stay in jobs for so long or tying it back to dating. Like a lot of people will stay in a relationship that's just kind of whatever for so long Mm -hmm. because they're like, well, how are you going to find somebody else? Like you're not going to find anything better. This is comfortable. This is what you know. So yeah, I do feel like, you know, when you bring it to the comfort zone, that I think is something that everyone can really relate to. Totally. Yeah. Because there's probably a lot of people that, like you said, with jobs, that it's like, well, I'd really like to try this other job. Mm-hmm. But that voice in your head is like, don't do it, man. You could end up worse off than you are now. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, You've got security yeah. here. Don't take the risk. It's too scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, honestly, I feel like if we listen to this inner voice, we would all just lead such a boring life if we listen to it all the time, <laughs> like never taking any risks at all. <laughs> right. But then on the flip side, think about how much fun we can have if we challenge that voice and go beyond mm-hmm. it. Like you can have a boring yes. life because we're listening to it, or we can have like this wild life because, you know, we're trying to prove it wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And at least in the spirit of adventure, that enough is a great motivator. So kind of tying it more to the impact on relationships, what are some examples of how this voice manifests herself like during dating? Well, I haven't dated in a really long time. I mean, like, gosh, I can't even imagine dating. (laughs) But I can imagine how hard it must be with that voice. Because that's such a huge rip. It is. It really is such a huge risk. And like with online dating in particular, I'm just thinking, you know, you meet so many people or potentially meet so many people. And yet it's not as if the success rate is astronomically high just because you're being introduced to all these people. So I imagine, you know, there are just these messages that you can kind of tell yourself when you've gone on a string of dates that don't work out. And kind of like what you were saying earlier, like your inner mean girl will bring up all the negatives. But you have to remember, it's like, okay, well, of all the dates you went on, chances are you weren't rejected 100% of the times that it didn't work out. There are definitely going to be times when you go on the date and you're not feeling it. And so you have to be the one to say like, oh, I don't actually think I see this progressing further. But it's so much easier to remember the times when you were interested and you didn't hear back for a second date or you were ghosted. So yeah, it's just really interesting to think about how that impacts your dating life so much and your confidence that's associated with it. Well, one of the things I bring up in my book, and I bring it up very early on, is the idea that maybe it was supposed to happen that way. Mm -hmm. And so when she's berating on, you know, regardless of what it is, whether Mm -hmm. you've asked 100 people to write a blurb for the back of your book, or you've gone Mm -hmm. on 100 coffee dates, (laughs) and none of them turned out the way that you wanted them to, maybe it turned out exactly the way it was supposed to turn out. That's true. Yeah, you just kind of have to maintain that faith. Yeah. So when Mean Girl starts blaming you for whatever, a really good response for is, it turned out exactly the way it was supposed to. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is it did turn out exactly the way it was supposed to because that's how it turned out. <laughs> you know, That's true. So yeah. <laughs> it wasn't supposed to turn out that way, it wouldn't have. But it's also a really good way to alleviate guilt and you know, blaming yourself, Mm -hmm. because it turned out exactly the way it was supposed to. I remember Mm -hmm. several years ago, I had gone for quite a while without working. And it was driving me insane. I was just Mm -hmm. like, you know, I can't not work. My husband was like, 
I can't even hardly stand to be around you. You're just <laughs> so irritable. And I'm like, I need to be doing something. And so I started looking for jobs. And typically with my experience, my background, and the area we live in, I don't have troubles finding jobs. And I went on these interviews. And it's like they would ask me questions. And I'd just be like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I, can't, I can't remember. I don't know. They're like, mm-hmm. what kind of math program did you use in the last job you had? I'd be like, I can't remember what it was called. <laughs> <laughs> it was like they were so bad. And like some of them, they didn't even call me back. And like I couldn't even blame them. It was so mm-hmm. bad. And I was like, I don't understand this. And then about a week later, I had an interview. It was perfect. Everything about it was perfect. It lasted like two hours. And I got that job. And I loved it there. And I ended up working with that district for a couple of years in different capacities. And I loved everything about it. And so I was like, that's why those other interviews screwed up so badly. Mm -hmm. Because if I would have done a good job, and they would have said, we'll take you, I would have taken the jobs. None of them were anything that were really ideal for me, but I would have taken them. So it's like, happened for a reason at the time it was like something's wrong with my brain i can't Mm -hmm. answer a question so i think that's a good way to counteract the mean girl is this is happening for a reason right now you don't know what it is and it feels really crappy but you're gonna look back on it and say oh my gosh thank goodness thank goodness that didn't work the way i thought or hoped it would yeah i Listen to another podcast about dating and one of the co-hosts was engaged and her engagement ended, I think, the night of her rehearsal dinner. So basically right down to the wire and she was blindsided, so horrible. And so she talked about it on a recent episode because it was the anniversary of her engagement ending, essentially. And she posted this quote to her social and it said, I'm so happy that I didn't end up getting the things that I thought I wanted when I was younger. And I just think that's so important to remember it's I think it's really hard in the moment when something horrible is happening to tell yourself like things are going to work out and it requires so much faith but I think if you do have that faith it really helps you get through those tougher moments I agree and I think a lot of it too is that when something like that happens what we're mourning is the idea of how we thought things were going to be oh my gosh yes yeah You know, and that's the pain of you're taking away the image I had in my head of how my life was going to be. That's so true. Yeah. And that's a comforting thing to have. And then when it's ripped away and you're like, oh, now I have to form a new image and start over. It's kind of terrifying. We are in charge of those images. So we get Mm -hmm. to pick a new one. Yeah. And strive towards that one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. I guess in terms of going back to the whole aspect of dating and your inner mean girl. So oftentimes, I feel like you can be in a very healthy relationship. And yet you still have these insecurities. And they're not driven by your partner. It's not anything that your partner is doing to put you down or make you feel a certain way. But if you haven't done work on yourself, then sometimes that insecurity is still kind of there and present and can honestly jeopardize the relationship and tear it down from the inside. So how do you kind of work through that? And like, how do you recognize when that might be happening from a relationship standpoint? I think what happens is our mean girl starts to tell us something Mm -hmm. and we question on whether or not it might be real. Mm -hmm. And so we look for evidence to either support it 
or disprove it. Mm-hmm. And then that's when we start going to like our partner, like mm-hmm. our mean girl might say something about, you know, you're not attractive anymore. Mm-hmm. So instead of just going to your partner and saying something or going back to your mean girl and saying, there's no evidence to support that I'm not attractive. We go mm-hmm. looking elsewhere for it. Mm. And then we get mad if we're not finding it. Mm. So it's like, well, my partner's not doing anything to make me feel like I'm attractive. So you know what? I think mean girl's right. So mm. now we're mad at the partner and we're mad at mean girl. And now I feel mm-hmm. more like crap because it's proven. Now I have mm-hmm. evidence. So this is, of course, it's all made up. This yeah. is all going on, you know, inside your head. So now we just ruin the world around us. So I think that's what happens is, and it happens everywhere, is mm-hmm. we get the idea from Mean Girl, then we look for evidence to mm-hmm. support it. Instead yeah. of using our rational brain as mm-hmm. evidence to say, wait yeah. a minute, no, I don't think so. I don't think that's right. So how would you recommend navigating that conversation? Because you mentioned like, you should just bring it up with your partner, which I completely agree with. Like, how do you kind of say, I don't feel attractive? Because I feel like, you know, especially if you're talking to a partner who's like very straightforward and direct, and I don't want to generalize, but I feel like a lot of men might just be like, what are you talking about? Like, I wouldn't be with you if you're not attractive. Like, how do you kind of go about having that conversation in a deeper way that's actually going to have a meaningful impact on these insecurities? Well, I think like what you say about men is right. Men tend to be, (laughs) if I didn't say there was anything wrong, then everything's fine. (laughs) Really, I think it depends a lot on how your relationship is with your person. Oddly enough, I struggle a lot with my size, shape and appearance. And my husband's read my book. He goes, Jill, you know, I I support everything you're saying. Mm -hmm. And I think you look amazing. And, you know, I mean, I look worse than I've ever looked since he's known me. But he's like, everything is fine. You're great. I Mm -hmm. love how you look. I wouldn't change it. But it depends on how your partner is and Mm -hmm. kind of learning their method. And that's the funny thing, too, is like not everybody says they love you. But that doesn't mean they don't love you. It's just the way that they are. So, I mean, obviously lots of communication, but at the same time, the dynamics between men and women are you have to know your guy and know how he communicates because that's an art in itself. (laughs) It really is. And I feel like that makes it so hard to have these conversations early on, you know, when you're still a new couple and you don't necessarily know what his communication style is or how he expresses his affection. And so maybe you're kind of misinterpreting the fact that he's not doing X, even though he's doing Y instead. And also just, I feel like, you know, there's a certain level of comfort that needs to be attained before you can really have those vulnerable conversations. And like when you're still pretty new, it's it's not always there. Like you don't always feel that level of security just yet to fully open up 100%. So I feel like it's kind of important to make sure that you're in a place where you can make yourself happy on your own before you kind of dive into those relationships and let your inner mean girl kind of sabotage them? How do you know? Like, what's the barometer for when you're in a place where you are healthy enough to be in a healthy relationship without sabotaging it on your own? I think a lot of it has to do with the mindset you come into a relationship with. Mm -hmm. If you are hoping that that relationship is going to change your thoughts about yourself and your life for the better. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I need that person to come in so that I feel good. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's a sign that you're, you're not in the right place. When you're in a spot where you're like, you know what? Things are perfect. Whether I have a partner in my life or not, things are great. Mm-hmm. And then you know you're in a space where you feel good enough about yourself. Yeah. I think that's really a great barometer for sure. And especially because, you know, I think a lot of times if you're single and don't want to be, I think it could be really easy to focus all your time on just like, okay, well, how do I find a partner? But really, it's such a great opportunity to talk about or to figure out, you know, here are the things that I want to focus on here are my passions that I want to develop as an individual and like work on those rather than only expending energy towards like finding somebody else because it's like then you become this whole person. And you're just so much more dynamic and you have so much more to talk about when you have a partner and like to share with them. And I feel like that just makes you a more happy person and also a more attractive person to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard about like when people are like older, like mm-hmm. they've lost their long term spouse, mm-hmm. and then they're like in their 70s or 80s or something. And then they find somebody to hang around with. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, Oh, my gosh, that's so nice. Grandma's hanging around with Bobby. And they just seem to really enjoy doing things together. Mm-hmm. You know, and the thing is, is both of them were complete. Both of them were content. They just wanted somebody to do something with. Yeah. And that shouldn't be only happening after we've lived a full life. No, That's how yeah. our whole life should be <laughs> yeah. with our partner is I just want somebody to do things with. Yeah, that companionship and just being like, I have a really full life, but it would also be better if I had a companion to share it with. Yeah. Somebody who's on my side, somebody who's pushing you out the door a little bit when you're scared, you know but not somebody who's, you know, leading you and guiding you, holding your hand, you know, not letting you do it on your own or somebody that you think has to do it for you or with you, or you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that's like not fair to a partner. It's like, that's so much work for somebody else to have to kind of take the reins on everything and like guide you through every major challenge in your life. It's like you need to be bringing something else to the table as well and be able to kind of support yourself, but then also recognize and appreciate when your partner is there to kind of bolster you even further. Right. Nobody's job should be to make someone else happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I kind of joke. I say that's an inside job. That's not one we outsource. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That's amazing. So kind of we talked about, you know, how you can sabotage yourself when you are in a happy relationship. But conversely, let's say you are in a relationship where it might be a little bit toxic, or you're hearing some negativity from your partner, they're tearing you down in some way. How do you kind of translate the tactics used for combating your inner mean girl to maybe a partner who is kind of doing the same thing that that mean girl would? One of the things is Mm -hmm. the cycle that goes Mm -hmm. on your thought Mm -hmm. cycle. I call it a silver lining cycle. It's in my book. Mm -hmm. And there's a Mm -hmm. fact that happens. For an example, if it snowed seven inches, that's an absolute fact. Nobody can argue it snowed seven Mm -hmm. inches. Two people Mm -hmm. are going to look at that situation completely differently. If one Mm -hmm. person wants to go skiing, their thought about that snow is totally different than somebody who has to shovel snow, Mm -hmm. and they don't want to and they hate snow. So Mm -hmm. when your partner is doing or saying something, that becomes a fact. He Mm -hmm. said, 
whatever. He doesn't mm-hmm. like long hair. It's an mm-hmm. absolute fact he said it. It's not good or bad. It's just a fact that he said it. Now, what you think about it, you can either think, well, you know what? I've had long hair my whole life and I'm ready to have short hair and this is my hair. I'm going to do what I want with it. You know, that's your thought. It doesn't have anything to do with his. So what he thinks doesn't go around in your cycle. It goes on his cycle. So trying to do your action so that you can affect someone else's is messed up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, nothing that you should do should be motivated by wanting to change somebody else's feelings, even if it's about you. Right, because your action becomes their fact. And then they attach the thought feeling and their action to it. It's kind of like, you know, they say when a dog is the leader, they don't know which way you're supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Just they have no idea. So you bring the dog when you walk with them, you bring them to your side, and then you're the leader, and then they can relax. So if you're constantly trying to act in a way so that you can manipulate the way someone thinks, so that it benefits you the most, you're like the dog that has no idea where you're going. <laughs> you know, how so you relax? You're just constantly trying to do something so someone else likes it, which I think really messes up how you feel about yourself because you totally tossed out any of your own thoughts, feelings, and actions to the wayside to put someone else's first. That's true. And yeah, now it's like the decisions that you're making are kind of prioritizing this other person's happiness instead of being for your own happiness. And a lot of times we're just guessing what the other person Mm -hmm. is thinking. You know, I don't even know. I'm just going to do this because I think that you're going to think this and that that's going to end up turning out okay for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, when you have that person and maybe they are saying things that put you down or make you feel a certain way, do you feel like there's a point where, okay, like this relationship just isn't salvageable and like, how do you kind of differentiate whether it's something that you can work through and just talk through and better understand where they're coming from versus, oh, this is just toxic and it's not something to be salvaged. I think that's a personal decision for anybody. But again, Mm -hmm. it comes back to what you think about what they said, you Mm -hmm. know? And it's like, if it gets to the point where your thoughts have gotten so negative over what they're saying, Mm -hmm. then that's a choice that needs to be considered. What I don't think people should do is try to do things to get that person to change Mm. their behaviors. Mm -hmm. Because now what you're doing is saying, if you change your behavior, I can feel better. Yeah. So you have to be in charge of making sure you feel better. You know, and then I mean, in every relationship, there's stuff people are going to do that's like, just drives me insane. Uh And you get to decide, you know what, that's just what he does. He just Mm -hmm. constantly wakes up every day and, you know, says something that I don't like. Mm Mm-hmm. You get to decide, do I want to spend every day like this and just have it mean nothing? Just be, that's my guy. That's what he does. Yeah. Gotta love him. (laughs) Or do you want it to be, I can't stand that he does this every day and he says this. And I feel like that also applies to, you know, as you're picking somebody to 
date. It's really difficult, I think, again, going back to how many options you have in the world of digital dating. And so you're kind of making these decisions really early on of like, okay, well, is this thing that I don't like a deal breaker? Or is it just a non negotiable? And like really having to kind of like talk through that within yourself and figure out what's the most important to you, because there isn't going to be someone who matches every single criteria that you would have written out on a list if you were describing your perfect partner. But you have to figure out like, okay, well, is this something that I can sacrifice or that I should sacrifice? Or is it something that no, I really need to make sure my partner has? Mm -hmm. Well, then one of the things too, I always feel like is and I see this a lot with women who are having really severe body issues. Oh, I hate myself. I hate myself so much. Mm. And I can't find anybody to go out with. I can't find Mm. a boyfriend. And it's Mm kind of like, if you hate yourself, how do you expect someone else to like you? If you don't even like you. Yeah. 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 I think it might be Dr. Phil that says, we teach people how to treat us. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of that starts with how do you treat you? What do you think about you? Mm -hmm. Because you can't really expect anybody to think higher of you than you think of you. Oh my gosh. That's a hundred percent true. It's like, you have to be your biggest fan. No one else is going to be your biggest fan. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, sure. Your mean girl's going to say stuff to you, but that doesn't mean you let everybody else say that to you. And it doesn't mean you have to tell people that that's what she's saying to you. Oh, well, listen, <laughs> what I came up with to say to myself yesterday, right? And, comes in and goes, well, I'm so glad you brought it up because I wanted to <laughs> tell you how horrible you are too. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, I don't need to give you ammunition. Like this is an A and B conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I also noticed too, a lot of times when you're okay with who you are and what you got going on, nobody's going to touch that. It's like, they know there's no point in trying to put you down because it's not going to do any good. Because I can see that it's going to bounce right off of you. Yeah. And I feel like that's why like bullies will pick on certain people over other people. You know, it's like they're going to choose the person who they think is the most vulnerable and think is a little bit weaker. But if you exude confidence, then that's not going to be impactful. And so that's not fun. Right. And then also too, you know, when I talk about the cycle that's going on in your head, when people are lashing out at other people, they're in a bad space. Nobody that feels really good about themselves is trying to make someone else feel badly. No. When I used to teach in school, I worked a lot with behavior kids and Mm -hmm. they felt most in control when they could make somebody feel as badly as they were feeling. And so I think the same thing happens as adults and in relationships when someone's lashing out and trying to bring you down, they're only trying to bring you down to where they are. Yeah. But it feels like they're way higher than me and they're pushing me down. They're actually pulling yeah. from below to bring oh. you down. Yeah. Wow. That is such a great visual. And you're so right. Cause it's like, yeah, people who are truly happy don't need to do that to other people. No, they want other people to be happy around them. It's the people who yeah. are kind of like internally miserable mm-hmm. that they're like, mm-hmm. I want everyone to feel as badly as I do. Yes. A hundred percent. Well, I feel like 
that transitions perfectly into a game that I wanted to play with you. (laughs) And so I kind of wanted to go through some mean girls that we might be familiar with from either movies or TV series or stories. So basically, I put together a little bracket of, you know, people who have been historical bullies. And I wanted to get your thoughts on if I pin these two people against each other, who is the worst bully? And then from there, we'll go to the next round. And then we'll kind of finally have like the mean girl to beat them all. (laughs) Okay. So for the first villain that I would like to pose, so from Legally Blonde, we have Vivian Kensington. And for those who might not remember, she was Warren's preppy girlfriend who he started dating after he broke up with Elle when they were at Harvard. And then the second villain I have is Lana from Princess Diaries. So quite the throwback. She was the one who bullied Princess Mia before and after she found out that she was a princess. I'm going to go with the one from Legally Blonde. That's a tough one for me. I feel like it was a little bit more impactful to be bullied by Lana in Princess Diaries because like Mia was pretty insecure already and was like an easy target. And it was high schools that were already more vulnerable. And for Elle, I think, you know, she was a little bit more secure in herself as an adult. But there is something pretty insidious about like a grown woman who is still bullying people like hopefully you're over that by the time that you kind of get to that age. So that is a fair judgment. Okay, so then now placing Vivian against Regina George from Mean Girls. I would go with Regina George from Mean Girls. Yes, fully agree. Why do you think she's worse? I think she was a little more ruthless. I think because Vivian eventually showed that she was a nice person. And the reason Mm -hmm. she was being mean is because she was so insecure. I never really got that feel from Regina, like any kind of remorse or any kind of Mm. like, you know, inner marshmallow thing. That is so true. She didn't really have a redemption. It was like she kind of calmed down, but it literally took her getting hit by a bus. And you're right. She didn't really show any vulnerability ever. Like she didn't admit that she was insecure. Maybe she wasn't insecure. I don't know. I mean, you would think she has to be and that's why she's doing what she's doing. But that did not come across in the movie. So right. (laughs) All right. So Regina George or Miranda Priestley from The Devil Wears Prada? I'm going to go now with Miranda. Mm, okay, why Miranda? Well, I think because I would have expected more out of her at her age and mm-hmm. her level of success. At least with Mean Girls, that was adolescence. Mm-hmm. We could grow out of it. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about Miranda was like 60, 50, 60. <laughs> it's yeah. like, this is ridiculous. You know, and yeah. she didn't peg an underdog. She pegged mm. somebody who was helping her. Someone Mm -hmm. was helping to boost her up Mm -hmm. is almost kind of like, you know, when they say that, you know, you never get on the plane and hope the pilot fails (laughs) because you're both going down. Yes. Yes. It's kind of like, why would you be so mean to somebody who's helping you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And also the level of power she has, I think it just makes her that much more dangerous, you know, because she can bully anybody who she encounters just because of her stature. Yeah. Yeah. Iconic movie, but yes, horrible bully. Okay. So now pitting Miranda Priestly against the wicked stepmother from Cinderella. I'm going to stay with Miranda. Mm, Yeah. I think I would stay with her as well. I feel like it's different with the stepmother because Mm. even though she was mean, 
she was also protective of her children Mm -hmm. and her home and then maybe some intimidation of Cinderella. So not that it's justified, but that it just wasn't as mean. as mine. Yeah. It wasn't like indiscriminately. Mean. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So the last matchup, Miranda Priestley versus Cruella DeVille. You know, gosh, that's almost like they're so similar. They both had a lot of power and mm-hmm. just wanted more. You know, I'm going to have to go with Cruella. Mm-hmm. You know why? Because it had to do with puppies. Yes. I was like, she's literally a puppy murderer. Like, <laughs> you can't come back from that. It's like, you know, I mean, I can watch Law and Order or I could watch, you know, some of those shows where something bad happens to a person. The minute mm-hmm. something bad happens to a puppy, that's it. Turn it Done. off. I can't watch another minute of it. So I'm going to go Corella because it was puppies. I totally feel that. And also, from what I remember of Cruella, I don't know, and correct me if I'm wrong, if we ever saw any backstory that justified why she was the way that she was, aside from just like, oh, I want a fur coat, and that's all I care about. Whereas at least with Miranda, we got glimpses of like, oh, she's going through things at home with her marriage, you know, like. Yeah, I mean, at least Miranda had some kind of a redeeming side that I believe, Mm -hmm. I can't remember because I read the book and I watched the movie and they were both significantly different. But Mm. I'm pretty positive in one or the other, she had children. Yes, she had children, at least in the movie. Yeah, so at least she had that much going for her, whereas Mm -hmm. Cruella... No. no, heartless. Yeah. A monster. Yeah. And I'm going to make coats out of little cute little puppies. Yeah. Like so terrible. Honestly, a scarring movie to watch as a child. Kind of crazy that that was a kid's movie. <laughs> <laughs> so sad. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. I think this was really amazing. And I think that there were just honestly a lot of inspiring tidbits that came out of our conversation. And so I really encourage anyone who took anything from this to check out Julie's book when it comes out. So would love to hear when the book will be available, where people can find it when it is available, all of that great stuff. It's available now on Mm -hmm. my website. Mm -hmm. And that's www.julieglynn.com. And it's on pre-order. So it's a little package, you get the book, and I sign it. And there's a little special surprise that we're working on to put in along Mm. with it. it also comes with the Kindle version as well. Then after pre-order, it'll be five weeks before it's available on Amazon. Awesome. So yeah, I will link to julieglynn.com in the show notes for all who are interested. And yeah, again, just wanted to thank you so much for your time. This was fun. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.